0: Here we, we go. Go. Here we go. I'm pretty which means I'm this up. must be...
1: Stephen Covey by beginning with the end in mind. But first, Karen, let's talk about what's happening on Apple street.
2: Hello. Well, today, uh, yeah, how are you today?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I can't believe it's Thursday already. I
2: know. I can't either. I can't either. So I was kind of excited the past couple of weeks because um, Franchise Business Review just came out with their annual survey. And I always love that because it's, you know, because it's a survey that's really based on feedback of franchise owners. I think they're the best source, right, for rating surveys.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, I I think I had mentioned before, uh, Ray and I, actually I said it on Tuesday, that's why I rings the bell. Ray and I just completed our survey for the Molly Maid uh, organization. And they were really, I I met the founder of Franchise Business Review in San Diego at the IFA meeting. And what a great guy. I mean, really, his whole goal is just to make sure that People have a platform uh, to speak about their experience in the franchise industry with their specific brand and tell everybody what they really think about it. And, you know, you can choose to have it be um, private or you can share your information, which I really like.
2: I do, too. And I think many times when you're doing one for, you know, your franchisor, people are kind of afraid, right? They're like, okay, do I tell the truth? Can this be tracked to me? You know, and yeah. what I like about this, you're right. It can be, you know, it can be anonymous or you can give your name. Yeah. And, and I love it because they're really taking a look at franchisee satisfaction, like franchisee satisfaction, performance results. And I like it that they're really taking a look at the training, leadership, yeah. core values. And what I love is it's lifestyle. Do they yeah. like what they're doing? Because we all know that, you know, when people are looking for a franchise. Those are key parts because this is your life. Sure. And and often
1: we're giving up very frequently really good-paying, corporate jobs that are, for the most part, stable, but we've just decided that it's time, right? And so the ability to have something that makes you feel good about what you're doing at the same time that you're obviously growing and replacing your income and all those things is really, really important.
2: Absolutely. And, and I also, it, it's that you've got to make sure you find the right franchise for you. You know, we talk a lot about that because it mm-hmm. does vary based on so many different things. Yes. And what's, what's great about this survey is they really break it out into categories. And this is got for women, top, top franchises for women, top franchises for veterans, top franchises for food, uh, best multi. So if you think about it, you can pretty much slice and dice it each way as you're trying to uh, make a decision about what type of franchise is for you.
1: So what were some of your favorite parts about the, the survey results that you read in this article?
2: Uh, well, the, the one I liked the most was the, uh, the franchise hall of fame. And ah. because, because that's one where, you know, you can be, you know, one time. So you can do like, Oh, one time you get in, that's great. But the, yeah. the franchise hall of fame it's set up and celebrates franchisees that have kind of demonstrated that long-term commitment right? Positive and rewarding experience for their franchisees. So to get into uh-huh. this, you have to be in the franchise top 200 at least 10 times. So that okay. really shows commitment to excellence and commitment to franchisees. So I really, yeah. I like that that they celebrated that.
1: Yeah. And you want to talk about maybe the top couple things that they uh Well, I'm here, for example, they say the five things that they use to measure franchisee satisfaction, to your point, training and support, Mm
2: -hmm. leadership,
1: financial opportunity, franchise community, and overall satisfaction. So what were some of the companies that surprised you that were on the list? Were there any that surprised you?
2: Yeah, I had had a couple. Well, you know what, what I find fascinating is I always forget the number of franchises that aren't food. Because I think so many times we think in franchising we think of, of food. Yeah. And out of the top two hundred, I didn't count the ones that aren't, but there's uh-huh. a there's a very large number. Yeah. And it's fact that, you know, it's a gold gold switch swim school. You know, things yes. like, you know, automotive, um, you know, different types of like coaching companies. Um right. I had a list of you know, cruise companies, fast signs. So yes. what I love about it is it's really that's why it's not one size fits all. And you can find something for you. And I also love it that they put in the amount of investment because that's also going to vary for for many of us based on what we can can do, what we can afford.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to just give a shout out to Franchise Business Review. Make sure anybody who's out there and you're like, wow, you know, I'd really like to check that out. I want to know uh, who's on that list. All you need to do is go to FranchiseBusinessReview.com and they'll have their top 200 list there. And as Karen just mentioned, there are filters. So if you're somebody who's looking to invest under fifty thousand, between fifty and a hundred, or over two hundred, whatever category you might be looking at, uh, you know, investing in, I would certainly take a look and just see what they have to say. Again, a lot of this is super, super candid. Um, I know I try to be very candid, so it helps not only the franchisees see that they're not alone in the way they feel, but also the franchisor to take it as some constructive criticism and look inside themselves to decide is there things that we need to change and what is it that we need to change? So, Absolutely. Well, very good, Karen. I think that's a great uh, great thing to have come out just before the show today, and I hope everybody will take a look again, that is at franchisebusinessreview.com. And um, we look forward to having a great show today. We hope that you'll all uh, jot some notes down as we go through the interview with Michael Ringel. And we'll be right back, coming up mm-hmm. after this. Or we won't. We'll come right now. <laughs> <laughs> Here car. <laughs> so, Michael, you have been with us before. You know, I always introduce you as our favorite uh, wealth strategist. But you do a lot more than just that. So tell us what it is that you do, and how did you get in this space?
0: Sure. Well, I appreciate you know, having me back. Uh, our last conversation was, was a lot of fun. And um, share with you a little bit about my background, um, I'm a CPA. I'm also a certified exit planner. And prior to working in the financial services industry, um, in, the, in, in the 90s, I worked with a company called Let's Talk Business Network. And what we did was we built entrepreneurial support groups for business owners to come together and talk about the different issues and challenges in their business. You know, very similar to uh, Vistage or a Tab. Um, We did it in the 90s and we brought people together. And what we discovered was when you strip away the uniqueness of what we do for a living, the issues and challenges are all the same. Marketing, sales, PR, technology, hiring and firing, Right. So getting entrepreneurs together to learn from each other best practices is really the way people love to learn. For sure. And so, you know, you hit on something very interesting in your last conversation, you know, with Karen is that, you know, I discovered that most people they don't go into business just for the money. The money is a strategic byproduct. Most people start their business or go into business or leave corporate America because they have some purpose, right? I talked to a lot of companies in the um, home health industry and a lot of the people were nurses or uh, respiratory therapists, people who wanna give back. And by growing a business and doing it in the franchise model, right? The strategic byproduct is creating cash flow for them, their families and the employees that work for them. Right. So our mission, is to empower families to experience purpose, freedom, and abundance in their lives. Wow. And, the, and the way we accomplish it is by inspiring and coaching families on the truths of investing and design a plan that supports their purpose.
1: That's and, awesome. That's a big order.
0: Yeah. As, yeah, as we, we
1: delve into these questions, because I'm going to let Sharon uh, start us off, but I want to remind everybody, because this is a topic that many of you are probably interested in, um, we do have a call-in number, which is 323-580-5755. Occasionally, you'll see it run across the bottom of your screen if you happen to be watching. But again, it's 323-580-5755 if you have questions for Michael or some, in general, franchise questions that you'd like to ask that you feel are relevant.
2: Go ahead, Karen. Yeah. No, I am just going to say, so when, when do you feel people truly need to begin the planning process? And then also the, even
0: the exit planning. That's a great question. Kristen, I think you brought it up before, you know, in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I think it's the, the eighth uh, part of, you know, sharpening the saw, but then it's the end in mind, right? So most people know how to get into business. You know, they buy a franchise, they have a system. So the second day in business is the day they should start thinking about how they're going to exit their business. And they may not exit for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but what if you were exit ready? What if somehow you started planning, and then somebody along the way came to you with the largest check you've probably ever seen in your life and says, I want to buy your business, are you ready to exit? Last year, my colleague and I had three companies that were in that position, two of them sold for $30 million. Owners were exit ready. They knew exactly what they were doing with the money. They knew exactly how it was going to transpire, but they weren't looking for it, right? They just – somebody – a venture capitalist came along and said, we want this business. They saw the opportunity, and they went for it. So for the last, I would say, you know, 15, 20 years, we've been working with entrepreneurs and business owners, really focusing on their exit planning. Because we all know with 100% certainty that you're going to leave your business someday, Mm -hmm. right? Either it's going to be on your terms, it's going to be on somebody else's terms, and most business owners haven't planned on it, and there's no dress rehearsal. Right. A lot of times you'll get a second shot at this. So how can we put a plan together to help you become exit ready from the business point of view? We could talk about looking at the personal point of view as well, but we start focusing on, you know, what's the purpose of your business? Um, what are you looking to get out of your business? How do you? What's the value of your business? Right. Well, that seems
1: like a that that seems like I mean, right now, it's so no, I will say I think a benefit to franchising is that they tend to prepare franchisees for they can at least have a, kind of a good sense of what the business is worth, but right. that can be a really um, intimidating question you sure. know so how do you get to the bottom i mean you you help entre- entrepreneurs and franchise owners do you find that one is i mean they're, they've got to be very different in how you deal with them
0: right um yes and no it, it, it's interesting because Most business owners don't get a valuation of their business, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason is that it's typically expensive. Yep. You have to hire an accounting firm to come in and disrupt two to three days of getting financial data. And as entrepreneurs, you know, we go, go, go. We're working in the business, not on the business. Mm -hmm. We use technology, right? Basically big data that's out there. Very similar to if you wanted to value your home. Right. Right. You go to Zillow.com, it uses big data, it gives you an approximate value of your home. Now, remember, something is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, yeah. right?
2: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, you know, you go to Zillow and you go, well, my house is worth more, my house is worth less. But either way, you know, it gives you an idea. Well, we right. have technology to do the same thing with three years tax returns, some financials, and a couple questions. Uh-huh. You can create a 28-page report that says, Here's the approximate value of your business today. Benchmark it against key performance indicators within your industry and with outside the industry.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And then have conversation about it because here's the thing we need to think about. How much money do you want to live on the rest of your life? How much cash flow do you need, right? Right. To be able to live the lifestyle that you want to live.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: How much do you have on your personal balance sheet? And a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that their business balance sheet Right. Goes on their personal balance sheet. Right. Mm -hmm. You business. It's an asset. Yep. Will the net proceeds of that business when you take into consideration taxes and taxes come into play. If you if you decided to um, use your old 401k. Right. To purchase the business. Right. We need to figure out how to get out of that situation, because when you sell the business, all of that is going to be ordinary income when you take it out. Yeah, capital gains tax if you didn't use your old 401k from a corporate world to pay for the business.
1: Yep. That's actually a really good point. And I think that's where it's great that not only are you a wealth strategist, but you are a CPA because people like me, I was tempted to do a 401k rollover, yeah. but because of that very fact, my CPA said you pay now or you pay later. And I said, I'd rather just pay now. Yeah. So we, roll it into a Roth, pay the tax right? to hopefully minimize the day that we decide to exit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then think about, you know, will the net proceeds from the sale of the business, plus what's on your personal balance sheet, be able to produce the income that you're going to want to live on the rest of your life? Right. How is it invested? Do you have any guaranteed income? What does it look like? And if there's a gap between the two, well, then how do you add value to your business over the next 10, 15, 20 years so that you get the number that you can plug and play into the planning that says, okay, you know, this number will allow me to live that lifestyle.
2: That's that's that. And that's the key reason why you do it upfront, right? So then you're not years later when you want to ask to say, whoops, right. we, didn't, we didn't do that. Enough. We're going to work at Walmart part time. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Because I think yeah. people don't think about that going in.
0: No, yeah. I mean, I can't yeah. tell you how many people, you know, you work so hard in your business every day, and then turn around one day, and to you, because of the blood, sweat, and tears, and the, the sweat equity you put into your business, a lot of entrepreneurs believe that their business is worth a lot more than somebody going oh, yeah. to pay for yeah. it. Uh,
2: it. It's, it, it's a common thing, right? Because it's uh, your baby. It's what you've been working right. on. Of course, wouldn't somebody want to pay that or want that?
0: Yeah, Yeah. so when you discover that it's not that way, (laughs) then it's devastating, and you may have to change your lifestyle. Like, for example, you know, there's a company that I was working with that decided that they chose not to sell the business because the net proceeds would not allow them to live the lifestyle. And what they did was they brought in professional management, and they paid them handsomely and turned their business into basically an ATM. And the professional management will run the business forever. Yep. And they're just pulling out cash, spending an hour or two a week, you know, maybe in the business. Right. And it's producing more income for them.
1: Well, that's interesting because I have had that conversation with several people over the last few weeks. Um, You know, as people start to, you know, on their terms, calling it aging out or wanting to retire. And, you know, I thought, well, geez, as long as my business is making money – I really want to get out, right? I mean, and I think that's a great strategy, but but let me ask you, so in doing that, and then again, beginning with the end in mind, if, when you set up your corporation, we talked a little bit about that pre-tax, you know, your 401k money. Right. That really drives, or should drive, whether you're an S-Corp, a C-Corp, or an LLC. Should it not all kind of play in part of the same formula?
0: Uh, Absolutely. Well, when you're an LLC, you would declare how you're taxed, right? Okay. When you um, create the rollover, right, you have to be a C C-corp.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and there, there are pros and cons to that, right? There's, mm-hmm. it's, if you keep money in the business, if you retain earnings, you're taxed at the corporate rate. But when you take it out, you're taxed again. Which brings up to what you would have been taxed at the S-Corp anyway. So for a ways even, if you have an S-Corp now or an LLC that's taxed as an S-Corp, it may be advantageous to create um, a C-Corp management company to be able to move some of those retained earnings in there because you may not need it for a while. Interesting. So that's one of the things that, that we're seeing a lot of companies looking into. The other thing most business owners don't know is that you know, when it comes to employee retention and employee benefits, mm-hmm. they know what a 401k is, right? They put it together most of the time because they want to retain their employees. Yes. Yeah. But they don't use it effectively in order to minimize taxes. For example, you can add on top of a 401k. And, and what people typically do is they go to their payroll company and a payroll company says, I ah, just put together the, the 401k for me and just manage it. Mm-hmm. But what if you have a very profitable year? Well, you can create a profit-sharing plan on top of it and put more money away for you, the owners, than just the, you know, $22,000 a year plus match.
1: Do you have to offer that to your employees, too, or can you do it just as owners in that for so,
0: you? plan? So it's a great question. The eligible employees, right, the way the IRS works is that in order for you, the business owner, to get the benefit of putting away a lot more money, you have to give some to the employees. Right. You can't discriminate, yeah. but here's the thing. Let's say you have a business that is producing a lot of income for the last few years, and it's going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So there are plans that you can combine with the 401k profit sharing called a cash balance plan, and a cash balance plan allows the business owners to put away a lot more money, six figures in a lot of cases, while only giving a little bit to the employees. We did a we did a plan design with our actuaries for uh, one of our franchisees, and what we discovered was that in this cash balance plan, both owners could put away an extra two hundred thousand dollars a year each, and only have to give up twenty thousand to the employees.
1: Wow, wow, oh, that's amazing! And you know, some some people listening may be like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you want to give more to your employees!" It's because of that. <laughs> what they don't realize is a lot of that, a lot of us, myself included, yeah. I gambled my entire 401k on this yeah. That is what opened and ran my business for the first several years. And so, sure. yes, it sounds like you're being selfish, but really, I'm just trying to put myself back where I belong. Right.
0: right. And, and you deserve it. And you're playing within the rules of the IRS. Like there's no yeah. gray. This yeah. is black right. or white. And what's really cool about it is that when you're in the 401k, the 3% or 4% match, that's the employee's money right away. If they yep. leave, they take it. Right. In the profit sharing, which is um, discretionary each year, to mm-hmm. you have a good year, you could add to it. If you don't have a good year, you don't have to add to it. The employee portion is on what is called a six-year vesting schedule. Um, so that so that they don't, they're not entitled to it right away. If mm-hmm. they've been with you for one to two years, right? They're not entitled to anything if they leave. Right. And then it's 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. So if mm-hmm. they're with you six years, they're entitled to it all. With the cash balance plan, they have to be with you for three years. It's called a cliff vest, meaning that after three years of employment, they're entitled to whatever you put aside to them.
3: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So think
0: about this. If you're getting 95% of a contribution, you put away 400, you have to put away 20 for the employees. Yeah. Your tax deduction at a 40 percent, you know, is 80 grand. Yeah. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's 160,000. You're giving away 20. Your net taxes are, you know, 120. It makes sense. Yeah. So, so what we do is we look at that. We look at the different ways to exit the business. We look at how do you retain employees. How do you put not qualified plans together, and then be able to say, okay, here's what it looks like today. Here's how you add value to the business.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Here's how you invest money based upon Nobel Prize winning academic strategies without speculating in the gambling. Here's how you create a pension plan in the future, right? Because that's what a cash balance plan is, right? I personally believe that the biggest um, downfall of the retirement system in the United States was actually the invention of the 401k mm-hmm. because it put the onus on you, the employer and employee to manage your own money versus working for a big corporation and getting a pension for life.
1: Right. Exactly. Right.
0: Agree. Agree.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that must have been designed by the corporations too, right?
0: Boy, <laughs> well, it was actually to minimize the amount that they, when I started my auditing career at Deloitte and Touche, I audited many pension plans, and I could not tell you, I couldn't believe how underfunded these were. Wow. So they know they have this potential future liability. They just don't have the money to pay it all today. Yeah. So, yeah, so they invented the 401K, the IRA. It's now up to us to do it, and that's why people go into a federal jobs, civil service jobs, teaching positions. Right. Uh, it's true. My, my daughter started as a fourth grade teacher in New York City, and I wanted her in that system because of the pension.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, that's well, it is amazing.
0: Yeah. It is
2: amazing how much, right? And, you know, because I always get teased by that. much. Like, well, I don't have quite that. <laughs> that's why it's important as a franchisee yeah. to make sure that we are thinking about all these different things and the different strategies to make sure that we're setting ourselves up to succeed because we don't have that.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we can create it on our own. That's right. That's what entrepreneurs do. So that's what we teach and we coach and educate people on. And and then we give them the choice. It says, here's where you are today. If you continue doing what you're doing, here's what life might look like financially. Here are some choices you have. If you implement the choices, here's what life might look like. And then what we do is we then use the financial products in the marketplace to fulfill the strategy versus trying to sell stuff to people. Right which my industry has been known for having a really bad rap for people just trying to sell stuff.
2: Yeah. 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 I, but know. I, no, I like it. And what I like about your approach and how you're talking about this, it's refreshing because you. you're, you're, it's holistic because you're hmm? talking, you're talking about the financial, you're talking about someone's, um, you're ta- you're tying it to them and their future. And, and the last piece is the employee's. And you're yes. tying it to, like, strategies with employee attention, retention because a lot of this, when you talk about exit planning, a mm-hmm. lot of this then sets it up to you've got to find somebody to buy it. So right. the healthier it is, the healthier you are, you're going to be able to find a – I would think you'd be able to find a buyer
0: faster. Yeah, and the – right, and the value of your business will increase if you have your key employees locked into yeah. certain golden handcuffs that upon the transition to sell the business, Yeah, they're incentivized to stay with a new owner, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: right? The owner wants that because they want the continuity. And if you tie in, you know, like in corporations, they use the golden handcuffs and define uh, deferred compensation. You as the business owner could do that as well, and that just adds value to the overall business itself. Absolutely,
3: because we're
1: talking about value. Obviously, brand plays into this quite quite largely, and. You know, it's kind of my opinion that if you have a franchise brand, it's one that obviously people know about. They see it. They're aware in most cases. <laughs> um, do you find that franchise brands have been easier to exit than a, a mom-and-pop shop type thing or not necessarily?
0: That's a great question. Not necessarily. You know, a, a lot of it is very specific. It's specific on the competition in your area. It's yeah. specific on how you, you know, what's what's the potential growth in your area. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, the, the name of the company and you know the amount of money that you have to maybe contribute to the the, the, the marketing fund and sure. you know, the, the the amount of uh, royalties that you have to pay play into it. And compared to independence, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it adds value to it. Yeah, um, but there's so many variables that go into play that um, it's tough to say.
2: Yeah. You know, I noticed that you um, you work with franchisees and franchisors. Yes. And being being and by the way, I've been on both sides, franchisor franchisee side. And you know, it's interesting because there is a little bit of a, if you want to call it friction. Many times, I mean, many yeah. many times franchise associations are kind of formed because there's kind of some kind of dispute or, um, you know, you know whatever. A lot of times it's that way. it's it's not right. necessarily positive. I mean, do you find that to be the sentiment of people you work with and? You know, what are your thoughts as far as working with the franchise or franchisee? And what's in it for both to work sure. with? I mean, we know the franchisee, but what about the franchisor?
3: Yeah,
0: so most, most of the people I work with actually come from the business association started by, like you mentioned, yes. they, they started the, <laughs> the, the, the business owner association because there was a problem, right? Okay. And everyone got together. And they realized that, you know, if they pool their resources, they could then fight the franchisor. And then once that issue is complete, they go, wow, you know what? We really like coming together to learn from each other. For me, I found that working through, you know, the business owner association is more powerful because the franchisor, a lot of times they don't want to, um, they're concerned about liability. They're concerned about, you know, if I introduce, you know, my to all our franchisees, and something happens, well, who are they gonna go after? Right, right. So, but the other thing is that a lot of the franchisors wanna see a smooth transition, right, from one business owner to another. Sure. And if we could help them in that process, so it depends on how progressive the franchisor is, but from my experience, where I can really make a difference is, is speaking at the business owner association about this topic, whether it's in their performance groups, whether it's like at one of the national conferences and just sharing this information. Like I was, I was um, in January, I was asked to speak at a mastermind group of about 15 entrepreneurs in Aruba. Now imagine telling my wife, honey, I got to go to yeah. Aruba. <laughs> January for work.
2: For work. <laughs> and she's going go with you. <laughs>
0: well, you, yeah, it's, unfortunately, she had to work, and then I'm sitting on the beach, and it was seven degrees at home, and she said, you know what, honey, you could stay an extra couple days, and I realized that that was like a test, right? That uh. was like a test <laughs> of our matters. So I very sharp. very
2: sorry. Yes, very, very.
0: And we we actually, I asked them, how long do you want to talk for? And they said, well, you can have a whole morning session. So for three hours, we talked about this topic. Now, it wasn't me talking for three hours. It was interaction. It was conversation. It was sharing. We did worksheets, and at two hours and fifty minutes, we had ten hours worth of material to continue with. Wow! And of the fifteen business owners that were there, eight of nine of them became personal clients to help them with their planning.
1: I think. So- So important, Michael. I mean, so and obviously we always ask you this question. People listening, whether we have people who are looking to buy or people who are currently franchisees, and like you said, we have emerging brands, too, that not every emerging brand makes it. Right. How's the best way for them to contact you and kind of strike up this conversation? Because it sounds like you can be very involved, and, and it's obviously very individualized, right, based on what your goals are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I my cell phone number, people can call me anytime, 917 nine one seven seven three four four seven four eight. 4748 they can send me an email. My email address is M R I N G E L at strategies for dot com. Or through Facebook, you know, I'm on there through your site. They could just leave okay. a DM. You know, more than happy to have a conversation with anybody about what's going on in their world when it comes to their business, entrepreneurship. Sure. Um, even sharing just resources and books are really important because yeah we can use those as tools to help people who are not ready today.
1: Well, I almost feel like it, that's exactly where I was going to go. People who are thinking and they call and say, hey, Kristen, I want to buy a franchise. Can you help me? I almost feel like this is one of the due diligence steps that we have to have people take at least make the phone call so you can ask the questions and they can start planting those seeds to know, okay, if I'm gonna invest two hundred thousand or fifty thousand dollars, what's my plan to make that back and then some so I'm okay when I retire.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and and there's no cost to have a conversation. Right? We can schedule a time to to meet, to talk. I love learning about entrepreneurs and business owners, you know, especially since we started doing this. As, as far as the support community for entrepreneurs, uh, you know, thank you for inviting me on this show. I love talking about it. Um, because there's nothing better than seeing somebody realize their 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 life's work. yeah when, yeah, and it's not just about the money, it's about you know the purpose,
3: yeah,
1: absolutely. well, and I think that more and more people would feel more comfortable going into business, whether, again, is you know, individualized or whether it be a franchise, if they had a very clear vision. I know that's something I sort of had, right, but not
2: right.
1: down to the details where now as I age, I'm like, oh, I better get it together.
2: <laughs> and, don't, and don't you think the franchisees that, the ones that I worked with, the ones that did have the plan that yeah. had kind of a grasp on it and that had the exit plan going in, I felt as if they weren't as, if you want to call it fearful, but they were much more confident. And I think their decisions were more of uh, strategic uh, decisions instead of just kind of the moment to moment. So there's calmness there.
1: Well, then they wind up like Ray traveling all over the country. I know,
2: right? Yeah, we all (laughs) want to be like Ray.
1: (laughs) Living the high life, checks in now and then, you know, but who knows where he pops up next. I mean, really. and that's fantastic. And Michael, I just want to thank you again for coming on because I really think this is something that people should not be afraid of. It's got to be one of those preparatory steps before you make the leap into business ownership. And um, we're really glad to have you as part of our group. So I just want to say thank, thank you.
0: you. Thank, thank you. I appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure. Great Yeah, so
1: we all have all your contact information on our website. So if anybody's interested, don't hesitate to go to com and you can, you can look up Mike's name and you'll find him there. And we're going to go to break, but I want to remind you we do have a call-in number today of three two three five eight zero five seven five five. We look we look forward to hearing from you, and we'll be
3: right back. Hey, franchise owners, how's your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westbine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, I have to give a huge shout out to Westline
1: because uh, if, if any of you out there have owned a small business or are currently in the throes of it, oh, my gosh, the local marketing requirements in terms of just keeping up with social media is mind-numbing. Jerry, do you feel my pain?
4: <laughs> I feel your pain. One of my businesses does almost all of their uh, uh, client um uh, recruitment through social media platforms now so if you don't do it you need to be doing it and if you start doing it you're only going to keep growing in that segment because it continues to move more and more that way especially as our population gets younger and younger not like me that's
1: for me but hey welcome back oh my gosh I feel like every time I see you you've changed a little we wait so long
4: well, I'm older and fatter. Is that what you're speaking of?
1: I was going to say you look a little more toned, but if you want to go the opposite oh way, that's okay. I mean, I no. wasn't going to go there, but.
4: I appreciate Aww. that. This gets... Fred. <laughs> Fred is on the, did you see he tried to replace Karen with Ray in the middle of your segment? Oh, I saw
2: that.
4: That was That was disappointing to all of us watching. Nothing against you, Ray, but we didn't want to trade you and Karen, okay?
1: I think he was just making sure that Ray was paying attention.
4: Ah, I got it. I got it. Well, yeah. we have a series now that we're going to start today.
1: Yep. Um,
4: sure. Yeah, I just got off. Uh, I served on a panel with some really smart people. I They put me on there for eye candy, I think. So yeah. I, was, uh, I was in amongst a group of really smart people talking about the new joint employer rule that has been rolled out. And uh, so we're going to do... Three weeks – actually, it's over four weeks, but we're going to do three segments on it Mm -hmm. so that we can try and bring people up to speed with uh, today's history of what has gone on. And then week's Thanksgiving, so that will be a whole other thing. And then in two weeks, we're going to do some comparisons of the past and the present so that everybody gets a good feel for why there is concern about it. And then Mm -hmm. in three weeks, we're going to talk about what if this actually happens. What does that look like as a franchisor or a franchisee? That's so, right.
1: The big if that we're talking about is joint employership, correct?
4: Joint employer. Uh, yeah. um, and this is, let's start the history lesson. This has been going on for 15 years or more. Uh, it started primarily because of the slow but inevitable death of unions uh and their uh lack of uh being able to recruit new members and now i want to uh, before i get hate mail i want to let everybody know i was a member of a union for a couple of years my father was a union member and uh and uh worked on the management team of union for many years unions had their place in some cases they still have their place but it's not our fault you can't recruit people and so don't screw up the franchise model in order to fix a problem you've got. So anyhow, that's where it started, and then they got their handmaidens in Washington, D.C. to carry the water. So this has been going on for 12 to 15 years. It has been through Congress four or five times and got voted down every time.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Not once or twice, every time. And then, you know, in uh, 2012, 2015, 2015, excuse me, uh, during the Obama administration, they, uh, the um, uh, NLRB came out with a rule that changed what had been the precedent for joint employer uh, designations over 40 years. So 40 their, years
1: definition, their, their definition of what defines joint employership is what really sparked a lot of this.
4: That's exactly right. Okay. Because um, – what it does is it literally puts uh, the onus on a franchisor to be responsible for the franchisee's employees. So, in other words, uh, a union can't organize seven employees in my one of my locations. They can, but it's difficult because there's thousands of them, of those locations. But if they were able to get some way put in place to put the onus on a corporate franchisor, where they're held accountable for 40,000 uh, employees, it becomes much easier to, you know, implement some sort of a, uh, an organizational type thing. So uh, that's kind of the, that's the baseline of the history on this thing. Uh, but it has, it has gone back and forth. It's been shot down many times. Uh, it is, uh, it is rearing its ugly head again right now. And the uh, NLRB, literally in this case, in in the last three changes, so in 2015 when it got changed, there was a change to the makeup of the NLRB uh, uh, management team, okay? Mm -hmm. And then in under President Trump, it changed – the management team changed back. And now under President Biden, it's changed back again. So literally it is – following the changes to administrations right now as to what's going to be going on. And I got to tell you, um, many franchisees aren't paying attention to it right now, but franchisors have, okay? How so, Yeah. In 2015, when this thing actually took on some momentum under the then change to the NLRB rule, many franchisees saw subtle changes in the relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor. In other words. Franchisors were offering less employee-facing support. So, in other words, when it comes to some of the training things that were going on, those started being pulled back to some extent. Not in mass, not wholeheartedly, just the things that were maybe a little bit more prevalent to a joint employer ruling, uh, they pulled those back. What ended up happening for franchisees is they noticed the loss of some of those. So most of them had to – if they had any size, if they're a franchisee with multiple units, they implemented their own local training to make up for some of the things they lost. But if you are a franchisee with one or two units, you likely won't have the wherewithal to put a training program in place of what you were getting before. Now, it's not just training. There's a multitude of things that impact um, the relationship that could cause a – to mm-hmm. judge you, to be part of a joint employer relationship. Uh, one of the things I brought up on the call today, a, a franchisor can do everything they can to uh, insulate themselves from being judged. But let's take, for example, new technology. Okay. A franchisor rolls out new technology. As soon as they're comfortable with it in-house, they look for alpha and beta testers out in the ranks. Right. So they'll ask for volunteers, franchisee volunteers to do that. When that technology, let's use POS as an example, when that new POS technology hits, who are the ones that interact with POS more than anybody else up and down the system? Your employees. Yep. So since the franchisees don't know anything about the new POS system yet, that entails corporate employees training your staff on how to be an alpha and beta tester with new technology.
3: Yeah.
1: But, I
4: can't. I can't I mean, think of anything that's closer than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of this. It, 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 and I'm glad that we're doing a bit of a history lesson because, you know, my fear is that people are going to be afraid to buy a franchise. And but that sure. shouldn't be the case. But with so much uncertainty, it, it's like who wants to buy in the stock market when things are all topsy turvy? Some do because they. Buy low, sell high. They've got that game down. But I mean, i I tend to shy away when there are a lot of things that I don't understand, and when that's the case, I just shy. I just stay away from it.
3: Well, I,
4: I do. We saw a little bit of that in 2015 to 2017, where there was a, a lessening of the interest in franchises. Um, so we could see that again, but there's so many variables here. Choosing to not become a franchisee for this one reason. Is probably not the greatest decision if you really want – back to Michael's thing, you know, developing wealth and even uh, being able to pass it along to your family and things like that, uh, that's all part of the franchise model by by many times over what normal small businesses do. So, you know, deciding not to do it is probably not the right thing because, A – franchisors and franchisees are going to learn how to navigate the system to ensure that they don't get called out on joint employer. Um, the other thing is this thing's got a long way to go before it actually – I mean, it's, it's supposed to take effect, I believe, the 26th of December. Uh, but uh, there is already one massive lawsuit that's been filed against it. There is a huge uprising in Congress uh, that's bi- bipartisan. Uh, across the aisle, one of the few things we can all agree on right now, it seems like in Washington D.C., but uh, there are people on both sides of the aisle that love uh, small business and franchising and so on. So they're working together to, um, you know, basically tell um, committees that they don't have the right to make these rules, these laws that are really uh, congressional based. So uh, I would not, I, I you know, I, I would say you know, buyer beware. Uh, I think uh, looking at Uh, systems that have a little less interaction back and forth uh, where, where, you know, even we've talked before about looking for units that take less labor because that's just a given in the world we live in today. Well, with less labor, there's less opportunity for a joint employer uh, ruling. So, I mean, there's lots of ways to look at being a franchisee without giving up on the dream just because of this one issue.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, certainly a closer look at what type of model that you choose. Are you also suggesting, Jerry, that um, that you don't necessarily want a franchisor that has such complicated systems that they need to be involved in the local franchises to help train and things of that nature or?
4: Well, think- I I think that boat sailed already. I mean, I think all, literally all franchisors are trying to do everything they can to maintain that insulating buffer yeah. on the employee side. So I, I don't want to suggest uh, anything related to that because I think, you know, we adapt, we move forward, we adjust, right. and things are going to be fine with that. Um, and, but, but, but back to the technology thing, um, there's simply not a great way to roll that out and ensure that you've... You've got a system that will work across a large platform unless you put it out in the field and have people actually use it in day-to-day interactions, checking clients in and out, those kinds of things. So um, that is, you know, one of the suggestions on some of these things is to have more third parties in the middle. Well, yes, but it's going to add a lot more cost to rolling right. things out, which which franchisees pay after franchisors pay, franchisees pay. And then, of course, that cost gets rolled along to consumers. So, frankly, consumers shouldn't like any of this stuff either because, ultimately, they're going to pay for it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good thing to make sure we share with everybody who's voting. But, Jerry, so one thing I I want to uh, have you tell our listeners, because at the end of the day, everybody has to take some personal ownership over this issue and get involved. What is a great site or where would you recommend that people go to learn more about what is going on and and who they can talk to in kind of a, I'm one of those like books for the dummies, keep it simple, stupid. Where do I get not the legal jargon, but the tell it straight, how is it going to impact me?
4: Well, uh, the International Franchise Association, IFA has a website that's really powerful and they've got a tremendous library on this, as well as, uh, you know, videotapes made, videotapes, that's how old I am, (laughs) Uh, videos made of training on how to identify this and protect yourself and so on. In fact, as I said, I served as a member of a committee, a panel today on a nationwide uh, group that uh, presented on this to, I don't know, four to 600 uh, people across the country. So, Uh, There's a lot of information there. That's one of the first places I would go to to try and try and sort through this. Uh, But, again, this is not a reason not to get into franchising. Just understand that it's like anything else, whether it's regulations or taxation or any of the other things that we have to face as business owners. Just one more thing we've got to be aware of and be prepared for. If you're a prospective franchisee, consider the labor side of things, Mm -hmm. not just because of joint employer, but because labor's tough now and may get tougher. So look for things that take a little less labor or what I like to look for right now, things that have taken a fair amount of labor, but are now becoming so uh, mechanized, so industrialized that they've figured out ways to use AI and uh, computers and software and all of those kinds of things uh, to gradually squeeze down the amount of labor that it takes to run. So um, I understand in, in uh, Fort Worth, there's a McDonald's that doesn't have a human being in it. I'm going to drive to Fort Worth just to buy wow. a burger. So, yeah, I
1: think I want to go with you to that. That's
4: yeah. So anyhow, there will be a lot more information in two weeks and three weeks. Wait a minute. That's right. Yeah, two weeks and three weeks on this. Next week is Thanksgiving, and we're going to let you guys know all about what we're thankful for in franchise.
1: Sounds great, Jerry. Thank you so much. We can't wait to uh, hear what else you got there and hopefully we'll get some information out, whether it's on our blog via videos or, or you know, your own personal penmanship. We'll look forward to that.
4: Sounds so, great. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you so much, Jerry.
0: Fifty graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands. More than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies. All of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board, the Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com.
1: we'd like to thank you all for joining us on the show today certainly if you're thinking about getting into franchising or any kind of business please be sure to take some notes on some of the things that mike ringle shared with us today i think he's got a wealth of information that would help everybody in that uh, situation a big shout out again to jerry akers who's out there helping us uh fight the joint employership along with the ifaa president matt holler we certainly appreciate everything that those folks do to help protect the franchising model Thank you to our resident experts and million-dollar mentors, Ray Tiller, Karen Kinsey Ford, Jerry Akers. My name is Kristen Shelmessie. I am your fourth million-dollar mentor. And be sure to tune in next week at PillarsOfFranchising.com or wherever you get your podcast, 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, for yet another episode of Pillars of Franchising. We'd like to wish you all a happy holiday, Thanksgiving week, and season. And we look forward to seeing you right here again. Thank you to our producer, Fred McMurray. He gets really mad if I forget him. So we'll see you all next week. Have a wonderful day. And remember, when you're in franchising or getting into it, success starts here at pillarsofranchising.com. Have a great week.